I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, a podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The Late Night Wars. What are the Late Night Wars? Well, cast your mind back to yesteryear, the distant past of 2009. When The Tonight Show, the hallowed comedy institution that minted nearly every performer over the last 70 years, was given to Conan O'Brien, and then the ratings didn't go very well, and then they tried to give it back to Jay Leno. Emphasis on tried. We're all on Team Coco, right? The Tonight Show is a comedy institution. It's been around for close to 70 years with hosts like Steve Allen, Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, and the current host, Jimmy Fallon. It was the gold star for comedians and performers alike. It's made careers, tarnished them, and ultimately been the true north for everyone in the bizarre business of show. However, we're going to focus on a specific time frame within the chronology tonight. The era termed the Late Night Wars Part 2, when Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno were each fighting over who would host the good ship tonight. Before we dive too deep into this, though, let's look back at what got us here. I feel like the answer to this is no, but were you into watching late night shows as a oh, kid? Oh, I was obsessed. Oh, obsessed. you were, you were. The reason why I said that is because I didn't think you, I didn't think you had cable. No, we, we, we didn't have cable when I was really young, but I was obsessed with like, I was obsessed with both. I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live for a period. I was obsessed with the idea of late night institutions and late night comedy. And I was obsessed specifically with Conan and uh, David Letterman. I loved. Oh, yeah, because you could watch these shows with rabbit ears. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't need cable for to watch Tonight Show and, and the late show and stuff. Um Okay, then, well, then that even, that's even better. So I think about this frequently because I also loved late night shows. And in general, kind of similar to what you're saying right there. Um, I just, I just loved and still love the weird kind of like basement energy of early nineties cable television in general, but certainly like late night television where it just felt like, it just felt like weird people were just making weird shit. And even these shows were kind of like that. Even these late night shows had that vibe. Cause like the David Letterman show, like it's not like late night shows are to like now it was like David Letterman was like dropping watermelons off of roofs. They would have like weird animal stunt performers in the studio. It was like we, it was just weird shit. And I, and I, I loved that vibe. And I think about this frequently that we're kind of at a crossroads. We're kind of at, we're kind of, we're kind of between a rock and a hard place because so many people criticize and say that like late night talk shows suck now. But I often find myself in a position of wanting to defend them because I feel like the reasons why people talk about how they suck are the wrong reasons. Because you have these people who are just like, late night shows have gotten too political. So I feel my, I feel obligated to defend against that idea. Cause that's, that's, I think that's a criticism in bad faith. However, in reality, I do think that late night shows kind of suck now. <laughs> like I, I don't actually think they're good. I, I tend to find myself defending them because I feel like people criticize them for stupid 
shitty reasons. Yeah, there's a there's a weird false comparison where people are saying late night shows as a like almost as a medium kind of suck across the board right now. And it has this weird implied like late night shows kind of can't be good. Like they've just had their time in the sun and now they just need to go away because they're so ubiquitous now. There's like a ton of them on the air. Um, and they're all not very good, right? Because none of them are particularly edgy. They're all like it. We'll get into this more later about our thoughts about the Jimmy Fallon era of the Tonight Show. But like, it's my opinion. Spoilers is that it fucking sucks. It's a yeah. It's it's a it's a product. It sucks. It's 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 everything that Conan said he didn't want to do, which is exactly what NBC did after he, they got him out of there. They were like, sick. Thanks, Mr. O'Brien. Um, yeah, we don't want to do anything interesting. Let's take the safest, most uh, facile, bland version of that and have it be hosted by the most sycophantic dude in, in all of Hollywood and just kind of like, yeah, hey, pal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's turned into just like a cold, calculated stop on a press tour where you come in, you sit down, you do your interview or you plug your movie, which late night shows had an aspect of before, but it's just that. And then like you do like the weird lip sync, lip sync battle thing that gets spun off into its own show. And then you, it, it, it's all just a, it's, it's part of the Hollywood machine at this point. And it always has been to a certain extent, but it's, it was in an interesting avant-garde way at certain periods of time. And at other periods of time, it was more of a product like you're talking about. Um, and it was, and it was, a, it was as a, it was as a product of the fact that like going into the eighties and especially the nineties with the advent of cable television and even just like 24 hour television that was always on, they just had to figure out how to fill space and like make programming to go for 24 hours and then eventually to have your own specific channel of X thing. And so in that weird place where there wasn't these, this huge, you know, they, they, they didn't know how to make content. They didn't know how to make programming for this, this medium. And they didn't have enough of this content to go on this medium. They were just cranking out weird shit. And it was kind of a cool time to watch TV. I mean, even even just the fact that like what you're talking about of like a basement energy like that's I think that's what I responded to, because I think there was a period where growing up, my my household was probably a little bit more strict and we kind of had like enforced bedtimes. And then there was a certain period where I think my parents kind of were just like, yeah, you, you if you, you do you want to stay up until 3 a.m.? You can. I mean, you you shouldn't. Tomorrow's going to suck for you. But if you really need to stay up till 3 a.m., fucking whatever. So when I was like, whatever, 12, 13, 14, 15, I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly when I really started getting into late night. But I would just like stay up, you know, almost till the sun would come up watching like. Like I even watched the shitty Carson Daly late night show just because I was so interested and in, in kind of like um fascinated with that specific vibe of the basement energy that you're talking about, because it really felt like, you know, at whatever, 13 years old, I, I started kind of developing a little bit more of my own sense of individuality away from my family members. I started developing interests that weren't directly related to things that they had exposed me to. And late night felt like this weird little thing that like, yeah, they knew what it was, but they didn't really know what it was. So it was kind of like my little weird secret where I could kind of go and like, you know, watch in the year 2000. And then the next day I'd be like, in the year 2000. And nobody would really know what I was talking about. I mean, they, my 
you know, the kids I knew knew what I was talking about, but like the adults didn't really know because they were just in a different phase of life and weren't in those spaces or whatever. And that that was like that was a feedback loop that I had that I had found in other places but the the late night thing was a very specific version of that that was related to this kind of artificial sense of freedom. Because in Arizona, like you can't go anywhere at night, especially as a kid. Like it's not like you can just like, oh, I'm going to walk to the Circle K or 7-Eleven or whatever. And you just can't do that. It's like two miles away. Like you physically cannot do it. And it's 100 degrees outside. So there's nothing to do except be inside. So all of your activities are kind of relegated to reading or playing video games or, uh, you know, talking to people on the phone or early instant message AOL stuff. So they, those formative experiences of kind of trying to figure out individuality were really linked to late night for me personally. There's also a difference between the network late nights and like weird indie late nights. Like there are a lot of really cool, weird, independent late night talk shows that happen. But the, the mainstream network versions of everything is really bad right now. Speaking of which, shout out to uh, Two Minutes to Late Night, which is a heavy metal late night show where they have a live band and it's all metal themed and they have songs and they do crazy stunts on stage. It's kind of like a combination between The Tonight Show and a guar show. Fantastic. It's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Conan O'Brien was born April 18th, 1963 in Brookline, Massachusetts. Born to a large family, he eventually ascended to attending Harvard University, where he became the president of the Harvard Lampoon. After this prestigious position, he landed work at Saturday Night Live as a writer. Moving out west, he started working on The Simpsons, also as a writer, until one day, out of the blue, he got a call from Lauren Michaels, his former boss, asking him if he wanted to audition to take over as host of Late Night. In a shocking twist, the virtual unknown landed the job in 1993. He was so unpopular that at first, his contract was amended to be only in cycles of two-week renewals. Oh my god, imagine... Imagine how much that would fuck with you. Like everybody relates to, well, certain types of jobs you don't really care, but a lot of people can relate to go working a job and then just like the anxiety of hoping that you, that, that you are going to do a good job and that you haven't completely like duped these people into hiring you and just always being like, oh, I just really, I, you know, and just craving somebody to give you the sign of like, oh, they like me working here. Imagine that, but just like them being like, uh, Lorne Michaels calling you in the room and just being like, um, so, uh, people dislike you so much that we have to reassess whether we're going to fire you every two weeks. Like that would, that would destroy me. I mean, it's, it's also crazy too. Cause it's not like he was like a person who had been in the trenches as a journeyman actor or a performer or in any way, a public facing personality that he was like, well, this will be a big visibility bump. And after this, even if I get fired in the first, you know, couple months or whatever, I'll be able to parlay this into other things down the road. Like he basically was, as far as the general public was concerned, persona non grata. Nobody knew who he was. He was just a guy. You know, it'd be like if it'd be like if one of the writers on Breaking Bad all of a sudden uh, was just given the keys to The Tonight Show where you're just like this guy. All right. It'd be like if Hillsmer got got became the host of The Tonight Show. I mean, you really think I'm not going to want to watch that? I would I would watch that. The show quickly evolved, though, and became something of a cult sensation. O'Brien himself developing a self-effacing man-of-the-people persona that pushed him to fame and fortune. 
So we're watching the the first the intro to the first episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien. This is a little bit where he's getting ready for work in the morning, looking in the mirror, feeding his fish, being really happy. A lot of pressure on this guy. And everyone's just like, who the fuck is this? Well, this is his first day. <laughs> Miss O'Brien, big night tonight, huh? Oh, yeah. A lot of pressure. So they say. Hey, good luck. Thanks a lot. Oh, good luck. A lot of pressure. I'll do my best. Hey. You better be as good as Letterman. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> He's reading a newspaper now that says Conan had better be good. So little girls are uh skipping stuff. What is the fuck is that called? Hopscotch. They're playing hopscotch and then he jumps in and does the hopscotch. That was the horse talking. Hey, Conan, Tom Brokaw. I just want to be the first to welcome you to NBC. Tom Brokaw. Oh, and Conan, one more thing. You better be as good as Letterman. Or else. (laughs) He just crushes crackers in his hand. (laughs) You feel all right? God, I hope you're good. Ooh, a lot of pressure. See you folks out there. <laughs> this bit's going on forever. He's like putting on his makeup in the mirror. (laughs) He gets a noose out. (laughs) He just casually hangs the noose in his dressing room. You're on, Mr. O'Brien. Now or do I have a minute? Right now. Ouch. (laughs) Takes the noose off. All right. So I I have two things to say about that. Number one, you really get the sense that, like, you really see how his his own style either was influenced or influenced a very specific period of The Simpsons. Because that was just, that just totally felt very Simpson-y. That whole thing felt very Simpson-y. Um, but the other thing is, that is, that was the first episode. And the, really, like, the first time, you know, he was a writer on things. But that was his first sort of introduction into the world as a personality. And it was the first episode of the show. And already, that little sequence, the beginning of that episode, it, it, was, it, was, it was genius with, like, four different layers to it. Because the first layer is, 
he immediately off the bat just establishes his tone and style and differentiates himself from the previous host, which, you know, normally in a situation like this where you're kind of like taking over as the host of something, you have to kind of do that over time. And and as we're talking about in the story, he kind of still did have to establish himself over time. But right off the bat with this little sketch, he immediately establishes his own tone and style and differentiates himself from Letterman and makes this stark statement that like, I'm not just going to be replacing Letterman. Like I'm a different guy. I have a whole different approach and comedic style. Um, and that, that little sketch just completely establishes that like there is no, you would not mistake that he's a completely different, uh, he has a completely different approach to Letterman. So you already are going into this without that preconceived notion. You're already kind of not comparing him to Letterman because that little sketch is like, oh, this is like a whole different thing. Like he is, this is, this is a new era. The second layer is that, uh, the, this, this, this joke, the, the, what's funny about it is that it's so prolonged. It's this ridiculously drawn out sketch where the, I mean, there, the, there, there are bits in it that are funny, but the overarching comedy of it is just that the the slow burn of it, which once again, as I, I I feel like something that wasn't really that was not a comedic style that I feel like was very mainstream at the time. Like now we kind of take it for granted that like we're in a very postmodern time of comedy and stuff like that is commonplace. But like that was probably very weird and unique at the time to see like an absurdist comedy bit like that in a relatively mainstream show. Um, and then the third layer is that he couches in this joke. He couches this almost like insurance policy against the actual pressure that he has. It's a it's a joke and it's a bit that simultaneously kind of insulates him from the real pressure and the expectations that he has because he transmogrifies the pressure into a bit. And now it's like, even if he blows it and even if he's not funny, it's part of it. He can he can play off any fuck up as part of this bit that he is like under an extreme amount of pressure going into this show. So it's just it's an amazing framework to go into a new thing with expectations where you're trying to replace somebody else. And then the fourth and final layer of it is just the 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 meta textual nature of it, where he is like incorporating real life into the narrative of him becoming the new host. So it's a talk show where he is on stage talking to the audience and he incorporates the real life aspect of becoming the host of this talk show and replacing David Letterman and canonizes that into the show in a way that I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily the first person to do that. I think there are, there definitely had been like, fourth wall breaking stuff in TV back at this time. I mean, the, what is, what is it? The, uh, the, um, the fuck is that show? Uh, not the Larry Sanders show, but the other, the other show he, he had his sitcom where he would like talk to the audience. So that, that fourth wall breaking thing was not new, but I feel like fourth wall breaking is just a part of late night now. I mean, maybe, maybe not necessarily as much anymore, but it, it became like a big part of late night, where going out into the street and talking to people 
and incorporating real life stuff into the show is just synonymous with late night talk shows. And I don't know if that's the first, I don't know if he was the first person to do that, but that definitely established a new tone. So it's like, so it's like, not only are you coming, and, and like I said, as we're going to talk about, he wasn't necessarily welcomed with open arms, but coming into this job, he like brought a lot to the table with him pretty much. So he really like, he really gave himself a lot of runway to be accepted into this job. And and I feel like, I feel like nowadays, like that just doesn't happen anymore. Like whenever somebody replaces somebody, they just kind of like awkwardly fumble into it and then just like sit around and just wait for themselves to become normalized. Alternatively, James Douglas Muir Leno was born April 28th, 1950. His mother was a Scottish immigrant who came to America at age 11, and his father, Angelo, was an insurance salesman. Leno also grew up in Massachusetts, specifically in Andover. He attended Emerson College, where he graduated with a degree in speech therapy. So just for just for full context, let's just point out, these two guys are roughly about a decade apart from the same geographic region, born within two weeks of each other. Weird. And they both just have really interesting heads. Very strange heads, for sure. They come from that part of the world where just the heads are, they're just, they're made different. During the 1970s, Leno became a familiar face on TV, appearing in many TV shows of the day, including Good Times, Laverne and Shirley, and Collision Course, a direct-to-video film starring opposite Pat Morita. Hold on, we, we have to, we have to, I think this is the movie, yes, we have to look at this the cover to this movie real quick. <laughs> this is this is the this is the the cover to Collision Course. I I I saw this recently. I saw I saw this like not too long ago, and like yeah, what what a, what a cover, what a, what a poster. It's it's Pat Morita and Jay Leno standing back to back, handcuffed together. And looking at the Jay Leno's looking at the audience like, would you believe my luck? And Pat Morita is like sarcastically looking at Jay Leno. Jay Leno is wearing a brown bomber jacket and holding a revolver pistol. He's wearing blue jeans. Pat Morita is wearing a suit and he's got a badge in his like the interior of his jacket. And he's like opening it so the viewer can see. And they're standing on like a weird beige background. Yeah, it's not even that the poster is particularly weird. It's not like some weird movie poster. It's pretty normal of what a movie like this would be. But the thing that is so striking about it is like it almost feels like a a fictional movie within a movie or like an or a movie that from an alternate dimension that was never actually made. Like I never heard of this movie until I saw this poster. And like you look at this and you're just like they never made a movie with Jay Leno and Pat Morita where they were like cops like that. That didn't happen. And yet here it is. And it's just it's so it's just it's just it's a striking movie poster. The uh, the tagline for the poster is the only thing stopping these two cops from solving the crime of the century is each other. <laughs> Collision course. Yeah. And, and you really got you. You really think about the idea of like of just cultural context between like age generations because for me like i just know jay leno as the host of late uh, or of the tonight show he's just that guy there are people who are like slightly older than us that are like oh that stand-up comedian and actor who became the host of the night of the tonight show 
in the same way that that's what I think about Jimmy Fallon. I think about Jimmy Fallon as like a cast member from the late nineties SNL that ended up becoming the, the host of the tonight show. But he had this whole other career that I just have no context for really. I mean, I've seen it now. Like I've, I've gone back and been like, Oh, like here's these old videos of Jay Leno doing stand up in the seventies or whatever. But like, that is like the secondary aspect of my perception of him. It's also funny because this this poster looks like it's so strange looking because it's so like, um. oh, my God. Wait, no, go back to that. Go back to the one beneath it. Oh, my God. Look at that one where the camera's on a ladder. Oh, my God. Yes, that one. The No, 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 no. That's yes, that one. Yes. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Oh, wow. I I love this one even more. Wow. Oh, my God. And there's one where they're back to back on, on a motorcycle. Why are they on a motorcycle together? Wow. They're sitting on a motorcycle holding up their badges. Wow. This is so stupid. Wow. I love this. However, it was Leno's stand up with his iconic high pitched voice and lisp and gigantic chin that would set him apart from the pack. In 1986, Leno became the standard substitute host for The Tonight Show when Carson was unable to perform. In 1992, when Johnny officially retired, Leno was named as his official successor, despite many feeling that the role should have been filled with David Letterman. This, my friends, was The Late Night Wars Part 1, but that's a story for another time. Live from the NBC studios in Burbank, California, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Man, that saxophone, though. There's really not enough saxophone. No, yeah, it's it's completely become extinct as a as a aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, as an aesthetic. Like it's like saxophones are still used in things, but as a sound aesthetic, it's just gone. It's not used anymore. His chin doesn't look real. He looks like a he looks like a Dick Tracy villain. Chester Gould designed that man's face. It looks like a prosthetic for sure. How amazing would it be if it actually was and he had been hiding it for all these years? I just want uh, I just want to, you know, just give a just this is my chin. This is my chin. Wow, it's just the intro from Conan and this intro where it's just like this guy is just milk toast. He does he, he just walks out and goes, "All right, now we're going to tell some jokes." This of course, this of course is the Tonight Show. The one uh, the one TV program Dan Quayle hates even more than Murphy Brown. Yeah. <laughs> sure you all know about this. Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle very upset with the TV program Murphy Brown. He says the idea of Murphy Brown giving birth as a single parent is damaging to the morals of our youth. Well, I think that's unfair, huh? I mean, I don't see him criticizing Porky Pig and Donald Duck for running around all those years with no pants on, huh? Sure, how about that? Hard-hitting comedy. <laughs> well, was quite serious about this. He says uh, Murphy Brown giving birth out of wedlock mocks the importance of fathers. Quail said just the other day, where would I have been without my father? Where? <laughs> Probably Vietnam, huh? 
Yeah, it's just it's, it's just such the standard thing to do, right? Like, it's just, okay, this is the intro to the Tonight Show. It's going to be the same as the old Tonight Show. And uh, it just has... This guy's already kind of ingratiated with you because he's guest hosted several times. So it's like, there was no even transitionary period. It's just like, you already know this guy. He's already hosted. And now he's just here permanently. I mean, just, just, as, just as a little, I know you said that that's a story for another time, but just as a small little... Sn- snippet of the late night wars part one um you know just to give some context on that there was there was a, a lot of controversy behind that and basically um for a variety of reasons including the fact that he had guest hosted and tested very well with the audience and a lot of the decision making was all based around focus group testing and you know projections of ratings uh the network wanted Jay Leno to be the new host, even though it had been pretty much kind of an unspoken establishment that David Letterman was going to inherit the Tonight Show. That had been an established thing within the hierarchy and within the culture of the of these late night shows for years that David Letterman, David Letterman was going to inherit it. And as a matter of fact, um, Johnny Carson wanted David Letterman to take over the the Tonight Show and the network uh basically just vetoed him or or ignored his his request or his wishes or whatever as he was as he was sort of exiting the 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 network um and you know to the point where uh it was a huge co- controversy kind of similar to what we're going to get into with the Conan and Leno late night wars uh, there was some there was some back and forth trash talking on the shows, mostly on David Letterman and, uh, you know, Johnny Carson went on to the David Letterman show a couple times and kind of talked about how he didn't agree with the, of the, de- the decision and so on and so forth. And um, it was a it was a a rivalry that ex- that continued on for years. And, uh, you know, basically David Letterman talked about it almost until the point where his show ended essentially like, like, like five or six years ago or however long ago that the show ended. The the interesting thing about these kind of like handover periods for these large institutions in any sort of subculture is when they're controlled by some sort of giant corporation that's like trying to hedge their bets. It's a very fascinating period because there's always this, institutional momentum to mitigate risk where there's always a very obvious thing that should happen. And it's like a little risky, but like, just do that thing. Like the Conan O'Brien thing is like, just give him the fucking show. Let him have time to figure it out and it'll be fine. But they're like, ah, but this isn't working out immediately, you know? And it's, it's those periods of any, you know, I mean, they happen whenever an editor in chief at a big, publishing company like a you know marvel or dc or whatever take over there's always like a weird downturn and then they find their successes and it goes up again like i'm I'm always fascinated with those kind of corporate decisions that are on a large scale that have a very tangible result you know what i mean yeah because because there's a there's a huge aspect of this that whether it's this these late night hosts or the editor-in-chief of a comic company where everybody is sort of like simultaneously in, in the same way that happens with stocks there. Everybody is participating in this unspoken speculative aspect of everything where not only is the actual work and your enjoyment of 
the comics or the titles or this show factoring into your opinion. But also there's this overarching speculative membrane that's affecting your opinion of things where you're just like, oh, like Johnny Carson was a great late night host. Now everything's different. Things are changing. Bad. It's bad. It's bad. And just the fact that there's that preconceived notion will actually cause like ratings to tank or sales to tank um, in the way that like weird little like opinions and rumors will like make stocks crash and stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating um, kind of Schrodinger's cat thing of like the quality of a piece of art being dictated by the corporate mandate under which that art is created, um, which is very, it's a weird thing to try and wrap your head around. But it, it, anytime there's a big shift in a landscape like this, regardless of what it is, I'm, I'm always really interested in it. I'm not even like a huge sports person anymore, but I've been watching all of these. Uh, there's a there's a YouTube channel called SB Nation, and they do this thing called Beef History, where they take sp- uh, sports players from various uh, disciplines and chart the course of their relationship and at the various times in which they've hated each other. And it's fascinating to me because so much of it lines up with exactly what we're talking about, where it's like, you know, uh, Kevin Garnett not wanting to be on the Timberwolves anymore because he couldn't get a fucking championship because the GM was terrible and basically forcing them to trade him to, to the Boston Celtics in order to like basically make a title run. And the same thing with fucking LeBron wanting wanting, you know, for his first free agency period, unrestricted free agency period, choosing to go to Miami because he was like, we're going to I'm going to win a title come hell or high water. Where do I have to go to win this fucking title? And so much of the interplay of those dynasty building exercises is not actually about the individual players, but it's about the machinations and the strategy supporting those players from the corporate, you know, general manager level which is so like really really fascinating to me and really interesting to think about like it's not nine times out of ten it's not actually about the people playing the game it's the people selecting who's going to play the game that really win and lose championships which is really it's an interesting thing and that's that's kind of what this is here because you've only got one shot like johnny carson was a 30-year institution you only got one shot to pick a successor to make another 30 year institution. That's a lot of pressure from a corporate level of like the brand maintenance of, we have the tonight show. We don't want to have a rapid turnover of hosts. Do we go Letterman who it probably should have gone to or Jay Leno who people are testing is testing well with right now. Uh, conservative vote is going to win out nine times out of 10, which is really fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know anything you were talking about with that sports stuff, but uh, the, the, it also kind of reminds me of, and you know, political or the, the fucked up issues aside of it, of like JK Rowling and stuff like that. Uh, just talking about the movies themselves. Um, you know, the fact that like Chris, Chris Columbus is not necessarily, he's not a particularly, he's not somebody you think of as like, Oh, what a great director. Um, he's like a very, he's a very like firmly studio director guy. Um, who will come in and deliver that solid studio project. Um, And I don't think he necessarily is known for having any kind of style. Uh, But, and so, you know, the, the Harry Potter movies, you know, as they made them, 
they started, you know, they, they, they worked with Alfonso Coran and, and all these, and all these different directors that had like very distinctive styles that pushed the franchise into this sort of like more dark and stylistic direction. Um, particularly, uh, the third one or what the, I think it was prisoner of Azkaban that Alfonso Cuaron directed that just had this very kind of like stark Gothic vibe to it. Um, and the first movie does not have that at all. It's just very, it's, it's just a very kind of like straightforward, safe movie. However, you know, you really get a sense of like what the value of Chris Columbus is because in not to downplay the role of the casting director of that film, but like, they cast these actors and they had there there was there was probably this huge um amount of pressure all around on the studio on him as a director on this crew of like you got you need to cast actors who are going to be in these roles for the next 20 years and they're going to have to be able to play Harry Potter and Hermione and all these characters now and they're also going to need to play themselves as teenagers in like 10 years in like 10 movies from now. And the fact that like, say whatever you want about the movies themselves. I'm not a particularly, I'm not a particular fan of Harry Potter at all, but like what I know about Harry Potter, like those, those actors who play those characters, they embody those roles. And it's like, you really could not imagine anybody else playing them. And it's like, yeah, they, they, they knocked that out of the park. The casting, if nothing else, the casting in those movies was phenomenal and that that must have been a huge decision and there must have been a a lot of scrutiny put on who was going to play those characters for that very specific reason that they were trying to build this like decade-long franchise um based on a massively successful book series and yeah it's another example and it's very fascinating the interplay between art and and the business of art where you're making a movie and it's supposed to be good and entertaining or whatever, but there's there are these massive corporate implications of this piece of art that are that that are probably bigger than the actual movie. Like that 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 first movie was a pilot for like a corporate product that was going to have all these projections of return on income over a 20 year period or whatever. It was less of a movie than it was like an investment strategy, an investment or like a proof of concept of a business model, which is like pretty fucking crazy, which is exactly what we're going to be discussing more after the break. Act two, two boys from Massachusetts, one time slot. Conan O'Brien was the new host of The Tonight Show in 2009. After signing an extension contract for The Late Show, where he agreed that after four years of extension, he would be given the host duties for the iconic Tonight Show. Well, folks, we have uh, a big show tonight. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned. I am going to talk about something right up uh, front. Some of you probably saw this in the newspaper uh, today. It was announced yesterday that uh, I guess I'll be doing this show for how many more years, Jeff? 52 more years. (laughs) I'll be doing this show uh, for about four and a half more years, and uh, then I'm going to take over The Tonight Show uh, here on NBC, which is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Uh, That's nice. 
Yeah. They've, uh, they've, oh, that's nice. Please, you gotta, thank you. Thank you. Please. That's a huge mistake. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, this is, um, this is a huge, uh, this is a huge thing for me. This is, uh, uh, something I've dreamt about for a long time. I think, uh, people in comedy only can dream about something like this. So, uh, I am incredibly humbled, uh, and thrilled to get this amazing opportunity. And I did want to say, uh, give my heartfelt thanks to everybody at NBC, uh, that made this possible and particularly uh, to Jay Leno. Jay Leno has been a big supporter of mine, uh, a good friend to me for 11 years when I first showed up. Oof. <laughs> he's been incredibly kind and gracious about the whole thing, and he's a class act. And so uh, to everybody at NBC, but particularly uh, Jay Leno, uh, a huge thank you, and uh, I hope I, I can live That's gonna. That tone is going to shift. That tone is going to shift. That's like that's like if you see a movie where it starts out with a character dying and then it flashes back five weeks and it's like the, the character being like, yeah, I'm just glad to be alive. Uh, I love living. I'm so glad that I'm going to live for the rest of my life. Life is great. Life is so good. Life is so good. I'm so happy. So everything is happening for me. I'm just loving being alive and I'm so glad that just being alive is just is on the table for me like that couldn't have been a more pointed like ironic foreshadowing <laughs> like it's almost it's almost like it's a sketch it's almost like this was like made after because it's he's really he's like i just want to talk about how great of a friend jay lono is he'll he'll never <laughs> just, betray I love, me he'll ne- <laughs> I just love him he's just such a nice guy he's just always been a really cool guy who definitely won't fuck me conan took over on monday june 1st at the universal studios hollywood backlot this was a departure the show had been recorded in burbank since 1972 many members of the late night cast and crew made the transition to the new tonight show the max weinberg seven the house band of conan o'brien's longtime late night troupe served as the house band under a new name the max weinberg and the tonight show band andy richter returned to the show as announcer and also resuming his role as conan's longtime beleaguered sidekick after having left the late night show in the year 2000 a new tradition begins today right here at nbc when the tonight show with conan o'brien that's right conan o'brien makes its debut nbc's lee cowan has a sneak peek at what we can expect a lot of stuff changed for a lot of people in this video yeah no shit Conan's new souped-up theme song make it sound like there isn't a jitter in the house. But at Studio One on the Universal lot, there is a blizzard of last-minute preps, both obvious and not so much. I've had my chest waxed. Uh, On stage, camera... (laughs) (laughs) That's the soundbite they got. That's the (laughs) soundbite. And in some places, the paint isn't even dry yet. I want the set to be beautiful, and then I want to act like a jackass and ruin the whole thing. Conan's very proud of the fact that the stage setup is very similar to the way Johnny Carson had his Tonight Show. We've got the monologue, and some of the skits will be done right at center stage. Then on stage left, we have where the musicians are. Stage right is where the desk and the couch is going to be. All the interviews will take place over there. And all of it has a very big, very art deco feel to it. 
But as different as it all looks, Conan insists it's still him. Whether it's The Tonight Show or Late Night or Hee Haw, uh, it, the rules don't change. Just make sure the show is funny and the rest should take care of itself. How you doing? The freckle-faced kid who first appeared with Jay Leno back in 1993. Static. And like right here tonight is like your first time on TV. <laughs> well, got the official Leno handoff I agree. on Friday. Good luck next week, my friend. Jay, thank you for everything. All what they've really accomplished in this move is, uh, you know, the, a peaceful transition of power, you know. This whole segment is just famous last words. <laughs> Johnny Carson. I want to someday in my career, I want to try and fill little shoes. Yeah, that's a good Conan's style, though, is less stand-up comedian and more conceptual comedy. The monologue of The Tonight Show has been famous for 50 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, so he's going to, I think we'll see more monologue-centric stuff from Conan than we have before. And guests that fit his style. First to break in the couch, comedian Will Ferrell along with musical guest Pearl Jam. If you want a long career in television, you have to occasionally reinvent yourself, and this is an opportunity for us to do that. All in front of the largest late-night audience on television. For today, Lee Cowan, NBC News, Los Angeles. It's a big deal. It really it is. It really is. You, you have been a guest on Conan's show yes. more than, I think, just about anybody. <laughs> so I'm going to have to travel a lot. <laughs> exactly right. And get out there. And Meredith, you've been a guest on his show as well. It's, he's, he's an awfully nice guy. He is. He's a great guy, as is Jay Leno. It's so nice that they were able to do this transfer of power so peacefully. But I think oh, my God. <laughs> guys. <laughs> guys. I don't even know where I lost track of that. But but let me just tell people that they can catch the very first Tonight Show. I want to say it slowly. Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. That's tonight at 11.35, 10.35 Central Time right here on NBC, Meredith. So a couple things about that. That was so creepy because it felt like one of those, you know how when you get like super cuts of like clear channeled sponsored ads where it's just like the same words being said over and over and over again by like local newscasters or whatever about a specific political topic. The amount of emphasis that they placed on it's a peaceful transition of power was just like. That's a that's such a weird way to say that too because that's that's like very specifically referring to like the way that the like a, like a political transition of power is. So it's like it's almost like it's a joke. Like the joke is that they're like taking like the transition of a late night host like too seriously, but like they're not saying it in a joking way. They're saying it in like a real way, which is just an odd thing to say about a host of a show like taking over. That yeah, it's just really weird. I I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe maybe it's because there was controversy about Jay Leno taking over the show, so there was like an established history. We got to make sure we don't fuck it up this time. Yeah, I don't know. The show followed the established six-piece format used by previous hosts Jay Leno and Johnny Carson, as well as elements established by O'Brien during his tenure on The Late Night. The first segment included a monologue by O'Brien, sometimes accompanied by altered news clips or several brief comedy sketches. Most episodes also included a second segment, immediately after the monologue, with a full comedy sketch. 
An interview with either one or two guests followed, as well as a musical or comedy performance as the climax of the episode. After the last performance segment, O'Brien walked on camera to thank performers, bid farewell to the audience, and recommend watching Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. The show was heavily promoted prior to its new launch. The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien generated close to 9.2 million viewers on its opening. This was higher than both Letterman's Late Show and ABC's Nightline, the rivals in the time slot. During the rest of that initial week, the ratings plummeted, however, dipping from a 5.0 to a 3.5 to a 2.7 by the end of the week. As a parting gift by the network, Leno was given the Jay Leno Show, which would be a lead-in to Conan's Tonight Show. What kind of parting gift is that? Here's a here's a gift for you leaving that's you staying, but just like an hour earlier. By November of 2009, two months after the premiere of the Jay Leno Show in September, ratings for the Tonight Show were down by roughly 2 million viewers at a night year-to-year basis. Though cheaper to produce than the scripted dramas it replaced, Leno's new primetime talk show generated fewer lead-in viewers for local news programs, causing a domino effect on ratings of The Tonight Show and Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. And then the other shoe dropped. Feeling the pressure from advertisers, the network decided to make some changes. On January 7th, 2010, multiple media outlets reported that beginning March 1st, 2010, Jay Leno would move from 10 p.m. weeknights to 11.35 p.m. Due to the combination of pressure from affiliates and both Leno and O'Brien's poor ratings, the plan would have Leno's show shortened from an hour to 30 minutes. This would push The Tonight Show into starting at 12.05. O'Brien's contract stipulated that NBC could move the show back to 12.05 a.m. without penalty, a clause put in there primarily to accommodate sports preemptions, leaving him with no apparent recourse other than resignation. Now we switch to a big story late in the day today involving business, entertainment, and what we all watch on television. The still new host of The Tonight Show, Conan O'Brien, told NBC and the wider world today he no longer wants to host The Tonight Show if the show is to air in any other time slot. This would seem to clear the way to putting things back where they were, and that would include Jay Leno, presumably. Our report tonight from NBC's George Lewis in Los Angeles. Thank you very much. Conan O'Brien got an extended ovation at this evening's taping of The Tonight Show. I've been giving this situation a lot of thought. You know, this is a true story. When I was a little boy, I remember watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and thinking, someday I'm going to host that show for seven months. In a statement released this afternoon, O'Brien said... I sincerely believe that delaying The Tonight Show into the next day to accommodate another comedy program will seriously damage what I consider to be the greatest franchise in the history of broadcasting. Conan signed a deal with NBC. He would do late night for five more years and then be given The Tonight Show. And I believe that he thought he was getting an 11.30 show. The next question is, will Leno, whose primetime show was canceled under pressure from NBC's affiliates, go back to doing his old show at his old time? Now, suppose that we were moving to 11.30, but even this All is right. not sure. See, my people are upset, Conan's people are upset. Hey, NBC said they want a drama at 10. Now they got it. <laughs> now they got it. Everybody's mad. Exactly. Let me, let me try and see if I can channel some reason to be angry. And will Conan O'Brien end up at another network, assuming he leaves NBC? 
I think the major complications with this contract are, is he owed a lot of money because they, the contract has been breached? In a way, it's a rerun of the turmoil that NBC went through in 1992 when Johnny Carson stepped down as Tonight Show host and Leno got the job, causing David Letterman to bolt to CBS. And now Conan O'Brien is looking for the exit door. No comment so far from the NBC front office. George Lewis, NBC News, Burbank. So before we kind of talk about the fallout of everything that's happening, I kind of think that we need to discuss just for a second one of the, one of the themes, one of the themes of Deep Cuts is this idea of artists being lost in their own creation and also Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what happens when you have your basic level of survival and your spiritual needs met and you start looking for something more, which is what that tip of the pyramid is. What happens when you go to, as our own recently deceased Papa Pricey uh, coined it, the Jim Carrey zone, you know, the, the nebulous space outside of the tip of the pyramid of, of, uh, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And both of these men in different ways are grappling with staying on the pyramid and forces outside of their control or that what they perceive is outside of their control, ripping them out into the space of Jim Carrey. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk about the same thing because, <clears throat> you know, there's other aspects of this that we'll talk about. But there's one little w- little like little w- wrinkle of it, which is like, yeah, there's a bunch of fucked up political things. But the reason why Conan resigned was because the show got pushed back 35 minutes. And it, it's 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 funny because I would be interested in knowing if there was really some true like actual business decision behind it that was sort of like the unspoken truth of it which is like oh he his team just realized that if the show aired at 1205 it wouldn't have good ratings and blah 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 or even if like if it aired at 2000 if it aired at 1205 then that means uh advertiser money goes down by x percentile which means that the show's budget gets decreased which means the show's gonna get worse which means you know i mean like i'm curious i'd be interested to know if there was something like that but on its face He's basically saying this job doesn't align with my childhood dream. And so I'm quitting it, which is like super fascinating. Like, like I said, maybe there's maybe there's real mo- real reasons behind it that he's kind of not saying or maybe it's some combination of the bo- of the two. But the idea that he would be like, this isn't an actualization of what's in my mind palace. And therefore, I'm rich enough to say it's not good enough is like is very fascinating. And the craziest part of this too is that in this narrative, Conan is the good guy. The 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 person who's just like this doesn't match up with my idea of the way the world works is the good guy. How unlikable do you have to be as Jay Leno for that guy to be the good guy? Yeah, for everybody to be like this guy who just like weirdly threw a fit about like his job not aligning with his childhood dreams is getting fucked over. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, you know, he he hosts the show for seven months. Ratings keep declining. The network says they're going to move some things around. It doesn't go the way he wants it to. And then <laughs> this is the thing that was so crazy. And I watched for like the, the last three weeks of the show. I watched every night specifically because 
it was unlike anything I'd ever seen on TV where, and this could all be kayfabe, but you know, fucking however old I was in 2009, 20 or whatever, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. He, every episode was just, fuck you, NBC, I'm going to spend all of your fucking money. And so escalating over those last three weeks of the show, they had increasingly more expensive bits with the final one being like an orchestrated, basically like a mud wrestling match or something with NFL footage, which is the most expensive footage to license, playing in the background with uh, Beatles songs playing over it. <laughs> like the, it was just, it was insane the level that they were going to, to just burn money, which I don't know if that was them, like if NBC was cool with that, because they were like, well, maybe it'll save the show. I don't know. But it was fascinating to watch. Yeah. And that whole that whole thing, we we just that little clip, it really just the little montage just really synthesized what we were talking about before of that interplay between art and, and corporate interests and business where it's like, would you say that it's art and commerce? Yes. Where it's like they're just like they're just moving around like numbers on a freaking spreadsheet. It's like. Okay, so Jay Leno is the host of the Tonight Show, and now, and then, and then Conan is the host of the Late Show, and then, or Late Night, sorry, and then we're just like, mo- like Conan's just moving to a different time slot, and the show has a different name, but it's a it's a talk show, and he's and he's kind of like doing the same thing that he was before, except for maybe with slight differences. And then Jay Leno is moving to this other show that's also just a a, a talk show. And then, like, they do that, and then, like, now, but now we're pushing it back to where the Jay Leno show is going to be pushed back 30 minutes, and then Conan is going to be pushed back 35 minutes. And they're just moving around all these time slots, and then it's like, oh, well, that's not working out, so Conan is leaving, and then Jay Leno is going back to The Tonight Show. They're just the same shows with, like, the names being changed and, like, the time slots being shuffled. But they're the same shows. Like it's it's nothing. It means nothing. the The Jay Leno show is functionally identical to the Tonight Show. It's Jay Leno doing a late night show where he does jokes and interviews people. It's the same fucking show. Maybe more money or less money, but like, and then they just they're shifting it around, and then like the big deal is about how how, how he moves back to the Tonight Show, and it's like it's this weird thing where they're hyper fixating on the sim the symbolism of time slots and titles it's fascinating it's fascinating and the the other thing too that's really i don't think a lot of people talk about when they have this conversation is that conan o'brien's public persona and all of his comedy are based on being the underdog they're based on being the unfuckable kid they're based on being awkward and tall they're based on being really into, you know, his, him being into history and loving old-timey stuff and how that makes it hard for him to connect with people. And he does kind of like, hello there. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's all about him being othered, right? Which is, was a was a very interesting avant-garde thing to do with a late-night show in the 90s. And then he does it for 20 years and it becomes refined. And it gets whittled down to these little symbolic gestures of, you know, him doing the little like weird uh, uh, marionette strings on his hips and, uh, you know, hit, flipping his hair and, uh, you know, like all of those little bits are the like crystallized idea of 
40 something years of trauma pulled down into these little bite sized synecdoches for the audience to consume. And then, and you know, the Tonight Show is, it's, it's the levers of power. It's, it's, you know, the peaceful transition of power, as we were reminded by Bryant Gumbel and everyone else in those clips. He's no longer the underdog. He's now the top dog. He moves to a different coast. And yes, the show is the same bits, kind of, but he, like, half his repertoire, the the bits that he's kind of honed and people come to expect from him from a career lasting 20 years in the public eye don't really work anymore because you can't, you can't do the masturbating bear on the Tonight Show. It's a different, it's a different thing. Yeah, and you also can't, you can't, you can't be the underdog whenever you are the top dog. Yes. So it's, so it's this really strange thing of like, the reason why, from my perspective, I liked his Tonight Show a lot, but it never really found its feet other than when they were burning money, To my, in my eyes. I loved that burning money period because y- there was a real point of view. The show was like, this is what we're about. We're about fuck you NBC in order to make NBC money because that's how capitalism works, right? But we all bought the work and we all watched it and we were all fascinated by watching these people who did not want this very prestigious, very fortunate position, this very privileged job. They didn't want it anymore. And so they were exercising a wish fulfillment for the audience of like, I don't like my job either. I wish I could just burn money at my job. That'd be great. And sans that, I don't know that Conan's Tonight Show had a perspective on life in the way that, quite frankly, Johnny Carson or David Letterman or... Even Jack Parr, I think Leno's period really is like, shut up and play the hits. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's just doing a good impersonation of what happened before. And then slowly he found his own footing doing the like, hey, I'm uh, I'm the kind of conservative version of this show. You know, the, if you want wacky stuff, you can go across the street and watch David Letterman. He's got the weird experimental late night show. I've got the, the meat and potatoes late night show. Okay, okay, let's go, guy. Let's not get too crazy here. That was that was Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, that was a Roger Rabbit voice. We'll be back at eleven thirty. <laughs> but you know what I mean, like it. Jay Leno's Jay Leno's approach to the idea of crafting a narrative and an experience is a, a little bit more kind of, um, you know, he's the Ringo Starr, right? He's just playing the backbeat. You know, he's not doing anything crazy or avant garde, and that's why he was so successful for so long, and also why. Giving the show to somebody like Conan is such an interesting divergence because it's like, oh, wow, we're going to really get something interesting because Conan, A, is going to have to reinvent himself and B, is not anything like Jay Leno. And was the reinvention successful? I don't know. But also, he only got seven months. So, you you know, how do you really judge somebody on that? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because it didn't happen and maybe he could have found footing or whatever. Maybe there's a scenario where he maybe there's a scenario where they didn't do this weird janky thing where Jay Leno got a show before him, which seems like it actually affected the ratings of the show. Maybe there's a scenario where they didn't do that and then the show was fine because it's almost like the the whole idea of doing the Jay Leno show is almost like <laughs> it's almost like if you. Like if you if if your girlfriend broke up with your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever broke up with you and then you started dating somebody else and you liked them a lot and it wasn't like a thing where you were like 
unhappy with him. But every night before you got into bed with your other with your new partner, you like had to get into bed with your ex for like 30 minutes. <laughs> but like, like, and, you, and it's not and it's like. And, and, and whether or not you miss them or whether or not you like wish you they wouldn't have broken up with you or whether or not you're happy with your new partner, you're just like for 30 minutes reminded of all of those nostalgic things that create emotions in you, regardless of what the charge of them are. And so every night it's like, oh, yeah, like you, you're never you were never allowed to like embrace Conan because. Every time before you saw him, you just got the old guy and like it just reminded you of what that was, which I'm sure has a neg a, a net negative effect on you, like a, 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 like of you embracing or becoming comfortable with the replacement. I'm I guarantee it does. Yeah, absolutely. 100 uh, percent. Let's let's watch this goodbye clip of Conan saying goodbye and then finish this conversation, because I feel like these two things are very interrelated. a picture of our uh, of our st- uh, our staff and our amazing crew and let's have a hand for them because they are amazing uh ladies and gentlemen uh before we uh we we bring this rodeo to a close uh i think a couple of things uh, should be said um there's been a lot of speculation in the press about what i legally can and can't say about nbc and this isn't a joke to set the record straight and this is true. Tonight, I'm allowed to say anything I want. Um, and no, it's not a joke, uh, but thanks, sir. Uh, tonight, I really am allowed to say whatever I want. And, and, and what I want to say is this. Between my time at Saturday Night Live, the late night show, and my brief run here on The Tonight Show, I've worked with NBC for over 20 years. Yes, we have our differences right now. Yes, we're going our separate ways. But this company has been my home for most of my adult life. I am enormously proud of the work we've done together. And I want to thank NBC for making it all possible. I really do. Um, uh, A lot of people have been asking me about my state of mind. And I'll be honest with you, walking away from The Tonight Show is the hardest thing I have ever had to do. Making this choice has been enormously difficult. This is the best job in the world. I absolutely love doing it. And I have the the best staff and crew in the history of the medium. I will fight anybody who says I don't, uh, but no one would. Uh, um, But despite this sense of loss, I really feel this should be a happy moment. Every comedian, every comedian dreams of hosting The Tonight Show. And for seven months, I got to do it. And... I did it my way with people I love. I do not regret one second of anything that we've done here. And, yeah. And I held, you know, I, I encounter people when I walk on the street now or just uh, uh, who give me a sort of a sad look. Uh, I have had more good fortune than anybody I know. And if our next gig is doing a show in a 7-Eleven parking lot, we will find a way to make it fun. We really will. I have, I have no problems. And 
I don't want to do it in a 7-Eleven parking lot. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, finally, uh, I have something to say uh, to our fans. This massive outpouring of support and passion from so many people has been overwhelming for me. The rallies, the signs, all this goofy, outrageous creativity on the internet. Uh, the fact that people have traveled long distances and camped out all night in the pouring rain. It's pouring. It's been pouring for days. And they're camping out to be in our audience. Really, you... Here's what all of you have done. You made a sad situation joyous and inspirational. So to all the people watching, I can never, ever thank you enough for the kindness to me. I'll think about it for the rest of my life. And all I ask is one thing, and this is, I'm asking this particularly of young people that watch. Please do not be cynical. I hate cynicism. For the record, it's my least favorite quality. It doesn't lead anywhere. Nobody in life gets exactly what they thought they were going to get. But if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. I'm telling you, amazing things will happen. I'm telling you. It's just true. As proof, ladies and gentlemen, let's make something amazing happen right now. Here to close out our show are a few good friends led by Mr. Will Ferrell. Oh yeah? Papa Pricey worked hard editing this show every week, making original songs, putting his life's blood into deep cuts, and then he was struck down in his prime. That motherfucker is dead, Conan. Have some decorum. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's really interesting, though, looking at this conversation of trying to navigate situations which might not make sense to people on the outside you know i'm just so curious what that situation was like from a business standpoint and if it was actually what he's talking about of this emotional like this is just not what i signed up to do like it's not out of a sense of malice it's just if the tonight show isn't tonight then it's the this morning show and i i'm curious if that really is the justification or if there's a business thing behind it um yeah, that's that you really just got to wonder if there's just like that's the sort of kayfabe and then there's just like actually these like logistical business reasons why it would not be beneficial for the show to be at 1205 because if that's not the case, like that is that is just an extreme hill to die on of just like I am quitting this show because it's 30 minutes later. It is and it's both something I just can't understand and also feel an immense amount of respect for. Like if he if the if the if the tonight show means as much to him as he purports it to and if his whole idea is like it has to be in the evening it has to be at night there's a very simple primal elemental piece of that that i absolutely understand and then there's another part of me that's like how much money are you getting paid an episode conan like you can't they're paying you millions of dollars to host the show and you you can't move it back 30 minutes really i don't know i don't know i i i'm like I vacillate between the two. If I was hosting the Tonight Show, I'd be like, what? 30 minutes la later? Okay. T two hours later? Fine. You want me to wear like a BDSM doggy outfit? Okay. Yes, daddy. I mean, daddy. I mean, daddy. I mean, daddy. I mean, daddy. That that just like of all the things. Like if there was some, if there was like some other thing where it was like, oh, like 
you can't you're not going to be doing a monologue anymore or like you can't have musical guests or like you can't have your band you have to have like this generic band that we chose for you or something like that like i would just i would i would totally understand it a lot more but the the fact that it's a time slot is just very perplexing to me yeah i don't know man but ultimately this leads to a situation where it's the most bizarre thing because it's the most strange, like the strangest version of the solution that could have happened where instead of naming a, the subsequent host and moving the show back to 1205, they moved the show back to 1205 and then just gave it to fucking Jay Leno. He came back and re-hosted the Tonight Show for four years. Yeah, which is like in the grand scheme of things, it's just like, what a fucking weird little blip. What a weird little, like, fucked up, like, whoops. Like, that's just like a, that's just like a, a whoops in, in the hit, in the legacy of that show. There's just like a weird little whoops that happens. They, he, he gave, they gave it back to him for four years and then they gave it to Jimmy Fallon, which also kind of a whoops. Well, I, I don't think it's a whoops. I think, I, I think that, well, no, yeah, I, I from a from a from a from their perspective, I think it was a wildly successful decision. But from you know, I, it's not. I don't think it's good. But clearly, my opinion is not that important for for the show. That shit was a whoops. <laughs> uh, but that that does that does lead into something else I wanted to say, which is like just banking out, just going off of what we were just talking about, or what you just said, or whether that was a whoops or not. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, I'm not saying that this is my opinion. I'm not saying that I agree with this or that I like this, but real, but looking at it in hindsight and just, and just like thinking about what, what the, what Jay Leno's tonight show was, and then what the tonight show ended up becoming and what Jimmy Fallon's tonight show is just from a, just from the role that it fills within the entertainment sphere, you know, looking back on it, you, you, you kind of, you can kind of, if you're really honest, you can, you can understand why Conan's Tonight Show probably was not going to sustain itself because it had, it just, it had too much of a style. It's the same reason why uh, Edgar Wright ended up leaving the Ant-Man movie. And then it was directed by Peyton Reed, who is once again, this studio director guy. He's, he's, he's up there with the Chris Columbuses and the Sean, uh, the, the, um, not Sean Mendez. I was just going to say, did you almost just say Sean Mendez? I did almost say Sean Mendez. <laughs> if you're Sean Mendez, does that make me Camila Cabello? <laughs> yes. Yes. Havana, oh, na, na. For social function, oh, na, 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 na. Sean Levy, not Sean Mendez. Um, yeah, the, the, those directors where it's like he's just, he's a studio guy. And, you know, the whole reason why Edgar Wright left is because, he just he wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie, and that's not what Marvel movies are. They're not movies that are led by the style of the director. They're part of this homogenous product that crosses films and creates this universe or whatever. And in that context, you look at it and you're like, yeah, like even if he had gotten rid of the masturbating bear and even if he did sort of somewhat scale back what he was doing, like he just he he just has too much of a specific style that I just don't think would have been sustainable for the, what the tonight show is supposed to be. And for better or worse, like Jay Leno in the tonight show, like 
he's somebody that you just turn on the the TV and you're going to get the exact same product every single night and it's going to be light and inoffensive. And when I say inoffensive, I don't mean that like he's not going to be making controversial jokes about abortions or whatever, but I but I, what I mean is like the the aesthetic and his personality is inoffensive and Conan just has a sharper, more like pointed approach to things that I just don't I just can't imagine that going on for another 30 years. Um, so, you, you, you know, you look back and you're like, I, I, I get it. Like from a business perspective, you know, I just don't know if Conan was ever going to work as the Tonight Show host. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think he could have. I think if you can have David Letterman as the host of the, you know, fuck, what's the actual name of the show? Not the Tonight, not the Late Night Show. Late Night with, what the hell is the name of the Letterman show? The Late Show? The Late Show. They're all the fucking same name, but. Yeah, Late late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Late Show with David Letterman, which is now Stephen Colbert. And then the Late Late, the Late Late Show is the, is the, the, um, the fucking, what, what is his name? Uh, Craig. Oh yeah. He, and he, that show's not even on the air anymore. Right? Well, now it's the James Corden show. Yeah. Uh, but like the, the late show was like really avant-garde and was the contemporary and the little brother to the tonight show, but it was still a mainstream heavy hitting show. Right. And it grew into its voice. It grew into having a real perspective on the world and doing strange, unique things and could the Tonight Show have had a period of experimentation and trying new things and pushing boundaries? Yeah, I think it could have. It would have been at least more interesting than the, the period it's in right now where it's just a fucking shitty late night variety show where people literally play games. The show is is the equivalent of a YouTube channel where people just play fucking board games. Like, But, but David but David Letterman's version of Tonight Show would have been in a pre Jay Leno Tonight yes. Show yeah, world. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Where you're it would right. have been it would have been pushed in a completely different direction. Like he would have set the tone for what the Tonight Show was you know af, after after Johnny Carson whereas like after Jay Leno it's like oh we've gone on this we've gone in this like meat and potatoes this is something you turn on like in your fifties and just let like really generic jokes wash over you. That's what the show became. Yep. You're, you're absolutely right. Kind of playing into what we're talking about here. And I think what all of us, cause anybody who our age, we were, we were, we were there. We were there when it happened. We were there. Um, and that moment in time is very specific. Like we all remember that very specifically as like, Every everybody was on Conan's side and like Jay Leno was the villain of the situation. But that there is there is a there is a portion of people where that is not the case. And there was they was they felt the opposite of that. And I bring this up because uh, just apropos of nothing, not with this episode in mind as a qu- complete coincidence, um, we uh, we put out a video that was an explainer about this stuff about it was, we put out a video that was an explainer of the late night wars one and two that just went over. It was basically talking about Jay Leno and his role in both the first late night wars and the second late, late night wars on YouTube, the, my job and the video has blown up and, and uh, gotten a lot of views. Um, And the, the, the angle of the video is basically like the reason why people don't like Jay Leno. Um, and the, if you read the comment section that there, there is, there is a whole other world of people 
that viewed that whole situation completely differently. And there's a lot of caping for Jay Leno. There's a lot of people who are uh, going on these rants about how anybody who doesn't like Jay Leno is just like a jealous, like idiot. There's a lot of people talking about how kind of going back to what I was saying before that, like now these late night shows are all just woke, but like people didn't like Jay Leno because he was a conservative, which isn't actually true. Jay Leno is not a conservative. He's actually a Democrat, but he was so inoffensive that this whole generation of people (laughs) just interpreted him as a conservative guy. (laughs) You know, you have to be really fucking bland when you as a liberal living in Los Angeles with a hangar full of like Studebakers and people are like, this motherfucker is a Republican. <laughs> and and yeah, you go through this, you go through this comment section and it is, it is kind of a culture shock because you're just like, I was not, I did not know this world existed. I did. But and, it, and when you think back on it, it makes intuitive sense. Like, of course, there were people that were on his side because otherwise why was his show popular? Like it it makes sense. But I, I did, that was not my interpretation of that event at all. The the interpretation of the event was that he was the villain, the de facto villain. Um, But there are a lot of people that think like he was great and Conan O'Brien sucked and they should have never given him the job. And it was great that Jay Leno took over and he should have kept hosting the show forever because now late night shows are too woke. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with no thanks on that one. Um, so the fallout of this whole thing is really interesting too because Conan was prevented from being on TV for a certain period of time, so he organized a basically like a vaudeville tour for himself where he and the Macklinburg Seven would go on a nationwide tour and they would film it and make a documentary, which is really interesting too because. You would think if something really traumatic happened to you, you would want to just like go away and not be in the public eye and not deal with people and not be performative. But you would be absolutely wrong because Conan was like, I got to exercise my anger through performance. And honestly, that documentary that they made about it doesn't show him in the best light. Like he he was so likable during that whole process, very calculatedly so, I might add. And that documentary is kind of like the like subtext through the whole thing is kind of is Conan an asshole? Like, did we all get swindled for 20 years? Yeah. And I feel like I feel like he ended up kind of rebranding a little bit as he goes into his his TBS show where he's I mean, he he intermingled a new aspect of his personality into the into his into his brand where he intermingled this other element of like that, that he is kind of an asshole and his whole thing is just like shitting on people, which like wasn't present in late night, but then became a big part of his personality in in Conan O'Brien, where they would do those those behind the scenes sketches where he's like doing stuff with his interns. And the whole thing is that like he walks around just like making fun of his interns and shitting on them and treating them like peons or whatever. And the and the and the joke of it is it's like I'm not actually an asshole, but I'm pretending like I'm an asshole as a way of relieving some of the pressure from this situation because I am the man in control and I'm really the underdog. So it's this weird kind of. And maybe he refined it a little bit there. But in the documentary, particularly that this is one. And I remember when I watched this documentary years ago, 
there's one moment that really stuck out to me, even at that time, like, you know, years ago, I was, you know, I was less mature than I am now or whatever. And certainly like it was a different time. And even then, when I was less sensitive about how your words can affect other people, there was still moments in this that stuck out to me of like, Jesus, like I like roast comedy, but like this is this makes me feel a little uncomfortable, um, particularly a moment where there's a there's a part where he's they're They're in like a rehearsal room or something like that. And Jack McBrayer is is there and he's going to be on that show on that version of the show or that he's going to be there that night. Um, and he's just going after him. He's like and it's like the whole thing is like, oh, they're friends and this is their dynamic or whatever. But like he is like he is going hard on him. He's like insulting like his physical appearance and all this stuff and making fun. And it's like even back then I was like, geez, like this is this is like extreme. Like this is pushing it to the limits of like, oh, yeah, like friends will like make fun of each other. And that's sometimes like the dynamic is that you just like are assholes to each other. But this is like, this feels like a little mean. Yeah, it really is. You can tell that he was very emotionally upset about everything that was happening from the Jay Leno thing. And that just permeated his life for a certain period of time. Stalled host of the tonight show quit after the network announced it was going to push the tonight show into tomorrow and to give its traditional time slot Back to O'Brien's predecessor, Jay Leno. It triggered a lot of bad publicity for NBC, an outpouring of public support for Conan, and some of the best late-night jokes in a decade. Conan walked away with a $32 million settlement and a new cable show, and NBC did its best to push him into oblivion, legally prohibiting him from saying anything false or disparaging about the network and from giving interviews or appearing on television until now. If you're wondering what happened to Conan O'Brien and what he thinks about all of this, you're about to find out. So uh, what's with the beard? The first day that I woke up and was no longer the host of The Tonight Show, I remember the first thought I had is, I am not shaving. And uh, that was my small victory. <laughs> you know. Okay, so I lost The Tonight Show, but I'll show them. I'll stop shaving. This has been uh, quite a year. <laughs> yeah. Even that, just the way that, like, the way that this is edited and just the energy in the room, like, that was a joke, but it just did not come off like a joke at all. It just almost came off like a serious thing that was just really petty and dumb because it just, the editing of this just did not sell that as a joke at all. That's it. We're done. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, it, this year has been incompre- is still incomprehensible to me. I, I, the, the amount of, stuff that's happened in my life in the last year is uh, it's going to take me a long time to process it. After leaving The Tonight Show in January and hanging out at his home trying to figure out what he was going to do. Man, it's just been a really hard time. Now let me show you around my massive mansion. Yeah, oh man, (laughs) life is so rough for me. I decided I wasn't going to shave in my palatial estate (laughs) where I definitely don't have a small army of employees. The rest of his life, he decided the best therapy would be to get out of the house and back to work. He assembled a lot of his old staff, opened a Twitter account. That's the tweet. And began planning a nationwide comedy tour, something that he had never done before, and one of the few things he was allowed to do contractually. See how things play out. We met up with him in Seattle. You must have been miserable the last couple of months. Yeah, I went through some stuff. 
um, and I uh, got very uh, depressed at times. You know, it was like a marriage breaking up suddenly, violently, quickly, and I was just trying to figure out what happened. When I st we started putting this tour together, it got... I, I started to feel better almost immediately. And then this, there's no better antidote to what I've just been through than to do this every night. Ladies and gentlemen. A little bit. Thank okay. you. You know, doing this tour, though, this is a huge milestone for me. This is the first time anybody has ever paid to see me. Can you believe that? Yeah. Oh, they've, they've paid to make me go away. <laughs> on the road again. The legally prohibited from being funny on television tour has boosted his confidence, kept him relevant, and provided an outlet for him to explore his anger, disappointment, and anxiety with mostly self-deprecating humor. My own show again. I just can't wait to have my own show. This is really interesting to me on like, it's like four levels deep of kayfabe, right? Because it's 60 minutes doing an expose about Conan O'Brien refusing to do The Tonight Show anymore that's secretly an ad for Conan O'Brien's new touring program, which isn't allowed to be on TV as its own thing, but if it's journalism covering it as a not-on-TV thing, it can be on TV in order to promote that it's a live thing that you can pay to go see that he can't do on TV. Yeah, which which basically makes this 60 Minutes episode like a backdoor pilot for the Conan O'Brien show on TBS. Yeah, it's really strange. It's also weird, too, that it's like you can tell they were like, Conan O'Brien, we want to interview about everything that happened with Jay Leno. I will do that, but only if we get to talk extendedly about how I'm coping with it as this legally from being prohibited from being on TV thing. Like it's, it's, it's not like they, like, like it's not like Mike Wallace just happened to show up at an event with him. You know, he was like, Mike Wallace come to this live show and film me doing it. It will make good B roll. Wink, 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 wink. It will totally not promote the show that I will sell tickets from that. I will make all this money from that I need because I got this $32 million settlement because I refused to continue doing the show. Wink, 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 wink. I'd even take a primetime show that's on at 10. Anything to have my own show again. After 40 performances in 32 cities in the U.S. and Canada, the tour will wind up next month at Radio City Music Hall in New York, right next door to NBC's corporate headquarters where this whole late-night fiasco was cooked up. I, I just want to say I couldn't be happier. You were the only choice. You were the perfect choice. You have been an absolute gentleman in private Conan and in the, in, in the press. I agree. Conan rocks. Good luck next week, my friend. Jay, thank you for everything. Less than one year after Jay Leno handed The Tonight Show off to Conan O'Brien, NBC decided to cancel Leno's disastrous primetime show and move him back into his old time period at 11.35 Eastern. Conan's Tonight Show, which was losing badly in the ratings to David Letterman, was to be bumped back to 12.05 the next morning. Was it in the back of your mind that, look, if I don't do that well, they could just pop Leno back in? I'm a paranoid person. <laughs> and I think uh, 
I'm the kind of person that can come up with lots of negative scenarios. Uh, but I remember thinking that seemed like a that was a stretch, even for me. What followed were some unpleasant discussions with NBC's West Coast brass. It just felt like the tone went very quickly from take your time, we understand this is a tough decision, to, um, you know, let's go. You know, and that probably helped me a little bit feel like, you know what, this environment doesn't feel right. And I've been with these people a long time and I don't like, I really don't like the way this is going. And when it started to get toxic and I started to feel that I'm not sure these uh, people even really want me here, let's just, let's just, I can't do it. Do you think they wanted you to leave? Uh, yeah, that's crossed my mind. Um, I don't know how thought out this whole thing was, but if they wanted me to leave, it worked. <laughs> this was just really, really hard. There's something about the way this is edited that just makes every way that Conan normally just comes off as like joking seem like he's just like, he's just like a, like he's got like this level, he's got this like underlying thing of anger and he's just like masking it really poorly. I mean, you think that that isn't what is exactly happening? That's absolutely what's happening. I know, but I'm just saying, like, all of his little tricks, they're just, they're, like, having the opposite effect, where he almost, he seems like he's going to, like, explode at any minute and, like, fucking break Mike Wallace's face. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's really interesting about this, too, is is kind of um, how, you know, he's, I think the... The real reason that everybody was on his side and also I think is very justified him being lost in the Jim Carrey zone and maybe, you know, losing perspective because of the show being at 1205. I don't know. That's debatable. Maybe if it's whatever that that's a that's a conversation. But the fact that they made him hang around for four years and then gave him the thing to, in order to immediately revoke on that agreement. That's really what sucks about this whole situation like that. It really is. It's. It's just, it just, uh, is, it seems very, um, like, yes, I know it's <laughs> the definition of first world problems. Like, oh no, he got four years of work stability, being paid millions of dollars, being in the public eye, having everyone love him for four years. Oh man, that's so, such a cross to bear. But also like, you know, if he'd already done the show for a long time and was looking for the next thing to do and they were like, please keep doing the show and then we'll give you this thing you want. And it's just, it's just, it just, this is the reason why, you know, he's like, I hate cynicism. It's really, it doesn't lead anywhere. This is the reason why I struggle with that. Because every time I'm like, I'm going to be optimistic and not be cynical about where this thing could go. It always explodes in my face. Because <laughs> it's, I, as soon as, like, if somebody was like, we're going to work this job for four years and then you're going to get a big promotion and go off and do this other thing. that's going to be great that you've always wanted to do. I would immediately be like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> this is just never going to happen. That's why the, that's why every every night after we record, we agree that we're going to end deep cuts forever. I mean, I did end it for a long time. And then, you know, you and Hillsmer convinced me to start doing it again. And I wouldn't be being honest with the junior sleuths if I didn't say that. Yeah, it's a it's a struggle. I don't really enjoy doing the show without Andrew. Jesus Christ. That come to the bone, to the bone. You didn't let me finish. I, in, I, I, you've done an admirable job trying to fill Papa Pricey's shoes. 
But it's, you know, it's a struggle, man. It's a struggle. I have to confront that grief every day that we record this this show. Letting you finish did not make that better. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, what, do you want me to lie to you? You want me to tell you that everything's great all the time? And I then to have you be surprised at the end of the show when I'm like, I don't want to keep doing this. And you're like, no, let's keep doing it. Look at my eye patch. It's so adorable, right? And then I have to be like, oh, yeah, it is a cute eye patch. Okay, let's keep going. No, man, I'm being honest. All the cute eye patches in the world, they can only convince you to keep going for so long. I mean, it's worked so far. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. It, it was watching someone's heart get broken. Liza O'Brien, Conan's wife, was one of his main confidants and closest advisors during the debacle. Did you approve of everything that he did? A hundred percent, yeah. You thought he should have left? Absolutely. What do you think of the way he was treated by NBC? From my perspective, it felt like they never really gave him the job. That they said, we're going to give you this job in five years. And they kept him with the company. And they, they, you know, he said, I won't go anywhere else. And I'll keep working for you. And I'm in it for the long haul. And it felt like they, they lost their nerve to really make a change. And, and that, that was too bad. It was a shame. Because it, it would have been great to see what he could have done if he had had their full support and had some more time. You've got this non-disparagement agreement. Do you have a copy? Because I haven't read it in a while. Um, I, <laughs> I have keep a copy one in, somewhere in I my keep bag. one in my wallet. <laughs> you, can read, you do? <laughs> Plenty of, anytime people come up to me, hey, so what's the deal with, uh, with Jay Leno? Hold on a second. Uh, he's a fine and good man. There we go, put that away. Can I assume that this interview would take a different tenor if that agreement did not exist? No, it, I don't think it would. The biggest thing people come up and say to me in gas stations and restaurants, I have so many people say this to me, hey, partner, you got screwed. I don't, and I always tell them, no, I didn't. I didn't get screwed. I'm, I'm fine. It just, it didn't work out. Well, you did get screwed. You think I got screwed. <laughs> well, I think most people think you got screwed. I mean, Jay Leno thinks you got screwed. Jay Leno thinks he got screwed. How did... He gets screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that part to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> Jay's got the Tonight Show. I have a beard and inflatable bat. And I'm touring city to city. Who can say who won and who lost? <laughs> I'm laughing because crying would be sad. Yeah, Mike Wallace is just like, uh, I don't have the comedic chops to keep up with this. Has Jay reached out to you? No. Mike Wallace is like, this is like watching Will Smith slap Chris Rock. <laughs> no calls. No, I do not. I do not think I'll be hearing from him. We should get him in here. We should. Is he, is he gonna? Is there gonna be a surprise walk on? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, but he'd call if we. If you know his number, we can. I'm sure he'd come over. Uh, he may have caller ID. <laughs> he won't pick up. I think he, Leno would say, uh, "Look, I was riding high. I was number one, and." Um, I was still number one when I left, and Conan made this deal with NBC, and NBC said, okay, Jay, we're going to take you off the air in five years, regardless of whether you're number one or number two or what. Did he? Mm -hmm. I think he does. felt like he was forced out by NBC at a time when he was uh, a strong number one and was pushed out the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's his argument. It's hard for me to get inside his head and argue his side of this whole thing. Um, I, I, well, here's what I can say. Mm -hmm. I'm happy with my decision. I sleep well at night. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, um, hope he's happy with his decision. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Jay lobbied for this? I don't know, but um, what I know is what happened, which is that he 
uh, went and took that show back. Do you believe he acted honorably during all of this? <sighs> I don't think... Uh, um, I can just tell you maybe how I would have handled it, and I would do it differently. You wouldn't have come back on The Tonight Show. Had I, if I had surrendered The Tonight Show and handed it over to somebody publicly and wished them well, um, and then uh, I don't, would not have come back a couple, uh, six months later. But that's me, you know? Um, everyone's got their own, you know, way of doing things. What would you have done? Uh, done something else, go someplace else. I mean, that's just me. You know, he is equally disappointed with NBC, the company where he worked. Every word he's saying is like, if you if you like if you like took the relief of what he's saying, like if you put all the the words in relief, they spell out a giant fuck you. But he's so diplomatic and so like media trained, and so I'm definitely gonna be taking the higher road yeah he can't say he can't say that like what jay leno did was like backstabbing and too two-faced and like sleazy and so he's just like that's what i would have done you know as a good person who isn't terrible as not a piece of shit i would not have done those things that only a piece of shit would have done <laughs> who he has known since they were classmates at harvard has zucker called you no um, you haven't talked to Zucker since this offer was made to you. That's right. You know, at some point, I'm sure I'm going to bump into these people. And, you know, I'm not sure we're going to be, have our arms around each other and drinking beer and singing old Irish fight songs. Because I don't think they know any. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, Finally got him. You know, Finally got Mike I, Wallace to laugh. This is going to sound crazy. I do wish these people well. Zucker, uh, Jeff Zucker was quoted as saying, at the end of the day, the viewers voted, and they didn't like Conan as the host of The Tonight Show. Can I take back what I just said? Do you take issue with that? In my opinion, I don't think that's fair or accurate, but he's entitled to his opinion. I think for anyone to say that the results were in after six months, uh, that doesn't ring true to me. Oh, they said that the for the first time in history, The Tonight Show was losing money. <laughs> just, uh, I don't see just how that's twisting the knife. Me. Don't see how that's possible. It's really not possible. It isn't possible. Did you expect NBC? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, yes. Do you feel like it was a failure? My Tonight Show? No. Absolutely not. Conan does agree with NBC's comments that it was a business decision motivated by money. And he acknowledges that Leno had the more expensive contract and would have been even harder to let go. Some people have reported that, uh, that NBC would have had to pay him $150 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you look at it that way and you're working at, let's say, I don't know, you're working for General Electric. <laughs> and you tell them, uh, you know, th there's this to make that guy go away, or there's this, uh, that's, that decision is probably pretty clear. And uh, I, I think, in my gut, I honestly believe everybody knows yeah. that's what happened. They did what they had to do, and okay, I get it. And the only thing I take exception to is subsequently people saying, well, you know, Conan was uh, losing money, and you know, actually he was murdering cats. What? <laughs> you know, I, whatever. Last month, Conan finally pulled the trigger on his future. 
raising some eyebrows by signing on to do an 11 o'clock show for the cable channel TBS and not with a broadcast network. Oh, I do not look down my nose at cable, and I think anyone who does isn't paying attention to television these days because it is this world is changing very quickly. You got $30 million that you didn't have before. You got a, a, a very lucrative new uh, gig on TBS, which has mm -hmm. a an audience that uh, very young audience custom made for you mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't all bad that's the point I keep making it's crucial to me that anyone seeing this take they take anything away from this it's I'm fine uh, I'm doing great um, I hope people still find me uh, comedically absurd and ridiculous and um, I and I don't regret anything. I do believe, and this might be my Catholic upbringing or Irish magical thinking, but I think things happen for a reason. I really do. I thought the Lutherans believed that. Oh my God, it is Lutherans. <laughs> okay, I believe that if I experience any joy in life, I'll go to hell. That's what I believe. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> But you get my point. They threw me out. It happened fast. They said, please don't let the door. I, if anyone takes anything away from this, I just want it to be, I'm fine. I'm going to be all right. I don't cry myself to sleep every single night. My wife isn't tired of me weeping during sex. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't accidentally called her Jay during said <laughs> sex. I definitely haven't tried to convince my wife to hone her to put Jay on Leno a prosthetic chin. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you need it. I need it to be more like, yeah, just just suck on my tits, baby. Just just suck on my tits. <laughs> It's just it's just vertigo. Yeah, I need you to say come for me, but I need you to say it in a Jay Leno voice. Come for me, baby. Just just come for me. Just come for me. <laughs> it's, a, it's a combination of vertigo and Mulholland Drive. <laughs> I love the idea of him just like <laughs> climbing on that poor woman and trying to make love to her while just weeping and like calling out like a werewolf jay jay <laughs> how could you do this to me <laughs> but seriously though there's just there's just a there is just a palpable like sh there there's there that entire interview is just covered in thorns like there's a there is a palpable sharp bitterness Throughout that entire thing. Yeah, no matter how many times Conan says, I just want everybody to be positive and take away the best out of the situation. It's like, but I personally am going to be visibly like irate about everything. Yeah, just really indignant, really angry. And I'm not even saying necessarily not justified, but yeah, it's just like, but just like, yeah, the that 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 interview is it's it's got an energy to it i can't even get over the idea of conan o'brien like just just like weeping and and spending his days like in bed masturbating and then when his wife comes in and he's jerking off she's like what are you doing and he's like i'm doing the masturbating bear i'm doing the masturbating bear leave me alone but <laughs> i'm rehearsing for my my 
my stage show. Spandrew, what are your climactic and or final thoughts about The Late Night Wars Part 2, Jay Leno v. Conan O'Brien? Yeah, I think it's interesting because like I, like I kind of alluded to before, I think, you know, back when it happened, that not that not that we have a wildly different perspective on it, and it's not like a night and day thing where it was like, oh, at the time we thought that it was X, but it was actually Y. Um, I don't think it's necessarily that. But I do think that, you know, upon reflecting on this and talking about it and kind of looking at it with, with uh, you know, hi- the, the, pers- the, the glasses of perspective, um, at the time it was very much like this guy was totally screwed over and then like he made the best of it. And then getting Conan was like this victory that was unconventional. It was, it was, it was a, it was a compromise or a settlement of like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take over as the host of the most legendary late night show on a network channel station uh, anymore. I'm getting just kind of my own show on a cable station, which is obviously not the, the ideal dream of my childhood or whatever, but like. It's been reframed as this just cultural victory of like, you know, Team Coco, we did it. Fuck NBC, fuck network TV. We're carving our own path. I wanted to host a Tonight Show, but instead I'm forging uh, a, a new, I'm pioneering a new path for the future of cable talk shows. I think that was kind of very much the way that we thought about it back then. And now, you know, there are all these sort of wrinkles to it and interesting aspects of it looking back on it where it's like, yeah, you know, he, he was screwed in a way, but also he, part of it was just him insisting on this seemingly, this seemingly surmountable thing, which is the time slot. Was that really the, the way, the reason to end this, you know, maybe you, you had a hand in this whole thing yourself, but the one thing that also kind of sticks out to me is kind of going back to what we were talking about before, where he incorporated this new aspect to his to his persona on Conan, where he would go back and it became this bit where he would there would be regular segments. So two things. Number one, his assistant became a huge character in his show and brand. She's regularly on the show. She has, she's become a social media influencer. She has become a mini celebrity in the context of being his assistant. And then also they have these frequent sketches where he, you know, we go behind the scenes and we see him sort of like lording over his interns and employees and things like that. And it's a bit about how, oh, it's funny because the joke is that Conan is this tyrant, but that's, you know, it's not actually the case. It's just like this character. And, you know, that's obviously all a specific choice, but it's interesting to look back on the context of all this stuff and really kind of see this as him transitioning from this, I'm the underdog persona. He's given this show, he's pushed out of it and he loses his opportunity to be the top dog. And so he spends the rest of his television career up until Conan ended rebranding himself as the top dog in a smaller pound or whatever, whatever, whatever the metaphor is. Top dog in a smaller dog park. Yeah. Like he he really, it really puts that into perspective. He got this, he got the the biggest job in late night. He was going to be like the biggest guy. And then he didn't get that. So then he's actively working out those demons 
on TV playing out these like power fantasy sketches where he is going around being the tyrant, canonizing that he has an assistant. And the joke is that he treats her poorly, bosses her around. And it's not really the case. He treats her well, but like that's the characters that he bosses her around and treats her like shit. These jokes are all him actively processing, losing this power, redirecting it, creating a world in which he has this power, if not only as a joke. It's, it's really fascinating to look at it like that. The subconscious, almost theater of the mind, which he may or may not have been consciously doing as, as the next iteration of the public Conan persona is fascinating. No, I will not be the 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 wronged one. I'm I'm going to reposition my entire public persona to be the the person in control. Yeah. And that's like that's become the joke is that my character is that I have unlimited power and people have to say what I do what I say and I can treat people however I want and they will take it. And like, instead of really doing that, I'm going to turn it into like a a character that's a joke. Yeah. 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 It's really a, it's a fascinating kind of wrinkle in his, in his kind of life as a public figure and as a comedian who kind of occupies a very singular place in American culture because he's not an actor. He doesn't have a broader character. I mean, he definitely has a character he plays, but you know what I mean? Like he's not a stand-up comedian. He's literally always been a character as a late night fixture and playing a version of himself. He's never been the overt character of like Bobcat Goldthwait playing the like Bobcat Goldthwait, like that thing. He doesn't have a shtick like that. So the character that he plays is Conan O'Brien, and that's what people love, which is really fascinating. There aren't many performers who are just the character themselves, you know? It's very close to the wrestling thing, very close to it. Yeah, yeah, which is which is going back to what I said earlier, where, like, my, my perception of Jay Leno is as the host of The Tonight Show. I did not, I was not introduced to him as a stand-up comedian who got into acting and, and being in movies and TV shows. I know him as Jay Leno, but a lot of people, you know, older than us are like, oh, yeah, that guy who was a stand up comedian became the host of The Tonight Show. Conan, like he almost it's like he is that like my perception of Jay Leno. He Conan is that he canonized himself as a, a late night host, almost as if he like created an implied fictional backstory for himself as he had this career as some kind of personality that later on as he transitioned away from being in movies and TV shows was like, okay, now I'm, I'm I, my career is going in a direction of becoming a host of something, but that didn't actually happen. He just, he, he started out as the host and like filled that space with this almost fictional character that is him. Yes. Yeah. That he then took out into the real world and made a, career off of basically yeah like the context of jimmy fallon is that he was on snl and then he was in a couple of movies like taxi with with uh queen latifah that did not do well and then he was like oh shit like i actually can't like I'm, my movie career is not going anywhere i'm not able to like make that transition to becoming the next will ferrell so help me daddy lorn michaels help me help me daddy lorn i still have some cultural cachet but obviously people don't like me enough to be a movie star 
So I will transition into becoming the host of a show. And that's the context that you recognize that, you know, Jimmy Fallon in Conan, like he, 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 he created a fictional character that is that, but that doesn't actually have that backstory, but the fictional character is him. And because we only know the fictional character and the fictional character is a, an exaggerated version of himself, the fictional character becomes or is synonymous with the real Conan O'Brien, which is really fascinating because, yeah, like you said, there's not many people like that in pop culture. Yeah, uh, I think my closing thoughts are when I was watching this all happen as a young person, I definitely was firmly team Coco, as they say. And I was very um, into the narrative that he got fucked and was very upset on his behalf and was very uh, like, I can't believe that this situation is playing out like this. And in looking at it now with a little bit more perspective, uh, I still feel that he kind of got fucked. I still feel like Jay Leno is an asshole. But there's another layer to it that's just kind of almost bizarre where it's just like this is so weird that these two dudes who were getting paid millions of dollars were arguing over like what time zone <laughs> their episodes aired like it's so weird because if we're really talking about time like how many people are viewing the show on the east coast versus the west coast if the show is shooting on the west coast and it airs at 11:35 that means it's airing on the east coast at 2 a.m. which means if there are more people viewing it on the east coast than the west coast arguably the show was always a show that aired in the morning of sunday or you know in the in the, the next day in the morning not in the night of that it, it was recorded on which is like, I don't know that I actually think that, but it's an interesting thought exercise to be like, I don't know, man, where's the majority of the viewership seeing this? Does it really matter when the show airs? Because even though it is a network show, things were definitely different in 2010. But now that conversation is so wiped clean due to streaming. Who gives a shit when the show airs? It's just it's just not a part of the cultural calculus in the way that it used to be, you know, like. I saw Andy Richter tweeting a couple days ago that it was like the 20th anniversary of Andy Richter use, rules the universe. And, you know, the show got aired on three different days in four different time slots in the two years that it was on the air. And man, I, I really wish that the, the network had backed us more and blah, 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 blah. And like now that's just not a part of the calculation in terms of that first run, because so many people aren't going to watch a show on FX the night it premieres, they're going to watch it on Hulu the next day or whatever. Like it's, it's fascinating how quickly our culture has just completely moved on. There's the layers of like, yeah, like there's an aspect of that. This is, this was a shitty situation, but then there's that little layer on top, the little overlay um, of perspective. That's also like, yeah, this, this kind of didn't matter. This is, this is like, this is the equivalent of if like you didn't get the job at Burger King. And so you instead went and worked at Arby's like, like, like this, this, this kind of, this did not deserve the cultural moment that it had kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating how quickly it's only a decade later, you know, and yet everything that these dudes are complaining about is just like, what? 
You care about the time slot? Huh. And you're willing to turn, walk away from millions of dollars because of a time slot? Huh. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com, where you can find my comics, like Everyone is Tulip, published by Dark Horse Comics. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me every night at 11.30 p.m. Oh, wait, no. 12.05 a.m. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, no. Never mind. I'm leaving. <laughs> And uh, and you can also find you'll you can't find me on social media because I don't have social media. But if you want to pay your respects to our dear beloved Papa Pricey, you can check out his website dapricerights.com, where you can get his comic Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can also go to deepcutspod.com and you can pick up some merch. If you click on the shop, we have shirts and hats and all kinds of stuff with Deep Cuts graphics on them. Uh, you can also pick up the Junior Sleuths shoulder patch on the site and you can also buy a copy of the simple code napster musical tape slash comic it is a a cassette tape release that is the entire napster musical on one hillsmer red cassette tape that comes packaged with an original five page mystery treehouse comic book starring andrew dave hillsmer and zero the book was written by papa pricey it was drawn by drawn and colored by Brandon Nebit, and the cover colors were done by Shannon Willette. And you can pick that up on the site for twelve ninety nine. It actually is in back stock. Um, we released this tape a couple weeks ago on the two year anniversary of the show, which was March eleventh, and it sold out within an hour and a half. And now we are on back stock. We've ordered more. They should be coming in within the next four or five weeks or so, but you can buy one right now and you should be able to uh, get that within the next five or so weeks. Um, And uh, we actually opened up international orders. So if you are out of the States, you can order it. And uh, admittedly, the shipping is pretty high on it. But if you're willing to pay like the same amount of shipping as the tape costs, um, I'm blown away to find out that people have actually been willing to do that. And there are people buying this internationally very blown away by that. But uh, if you want to do that, it's available. Um, you can also follow us on social media on Facebook. Just go to Deep Cuts Podcast. You can join our Facebook group, the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group, where we talk about the show and other random stuff. Um, you can join our Discord Discord by going to bit.ly.com slash Deep Cuts Discord, where uh, we also have people talking about the show and also movie movies and TV shows and other random stuff. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. And uh, you can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. And you can follow us on Truth Social <laughs> at Deep Cuts Pod. <laughs> no, that one's not true. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content.